Welcome to the American Cinematographer Podcast. Go behind the scenes with today's top filmmakers as they discuss the techniques they bring to the art of motion imaging. This episode of the American Cinematographer Podcast is brought to you by Technicolor and was recorded at the 2016 Kammer Image Film Festival in Bydgoszcz, Poland. Thank you all for waiting and your patience. Um, my name is Bob Hoffman, and on behalf of Technicolor, I want to welcome you. I wanted to uh, start by thanking the incredible team at Camera Image, Barbara, who... Uh, yes, and, and Marek and Kajic and... Camille and Carolina and the entire Camera Maj team who really make this all happen and are just so wonderful to uh, welcome us in the way that they do every year. This, uh, for me, is really one of the high points of the year to be able to come to Camera Maj and to be able to share the, uh, the energy and the love of cinematography with this particular audience. For some reason, it seems like every year before Camera Maj, some event happens in the world that uh, find incredibly depressing, but uh, come here to recharge ourselves and to uh, share the love of uh, this foundational craft of, uh, of moving pictures. Anyway, um, I want to thank you all, and I wanted to introduce Ian Marks, who's going to be the uh, moderator today and who will introduce our speakers. Thank you, Bob. It's a real honor to be here to illuminate the artistry and the craftsmanship of these great cinematographers. Sitting next to me is Vittorio Storaro. Robert Yeoman. Roberto Schaefer. And Ed Lockman. Um, speaking of artistry and, and craftsmanship, I'm reminded of something that uh, Maddie Lee Batique uh, and I were talking about last year. It was one of those late nights where, you know, we had too much to drink and too many cigarettes and we were getting real honest with each other. And Maddie said that he believed that there are great artists and then there are great craftspeople. And that there's a difference between the two of them. And I'll leave it to him someday to tell you what kind of cinematographer he is. But right now, I'm just curious to know if the panel here agrees with that. And if so, where along the spectrum do you see yourself? Ed, do we want to start down here with you? Was he, was he trying to escape? <laughs> Matty was your protege. He has a lot of respect for you, and I think I know he considers you to be a great artist. Let's start with a good craftsman. A craftsman can be an artist. You know. In your estimation, like, what is the definition of a good craftsman from a cinematographic perspective? Well, any... Um craftsman or artist imbues their work with a 
personal point of view, you know, that, that you feel um, something of their own spirit in the images. And it's the same with actors. You know, what makes one actor uh, greater than another or better than another? There's something of their, of their soul that comes through in their work. And I, I think that's the difference, that you feel someone's fingerprint in their work. It, it doesn't mean that you don't serve the work. It doesn't mean that you create the same stylization in every project that you do to have a, a statement, but that, that however you approach the work, that there's something about yourself in the work. I think that's the most important thing. I, I think a craftsman doesn't necessarily have to be an artist uh, by dictionary term. Uh, someone who can make the craft can be someone who does it for under somebody else's direction. Um, an artist in general is a craftsman at the same time because in order to, to, to complete their creation that they see, they need to be able to master their craft to make the product happen. Um, I consider most cinematographers to be both because I think you have to learn your craft and you have to know your craft to be able to use it to create whichever way you go with your creation. You have to know the craft to be able to know when to say, forget that, I want to do something different, or I'm breaking the rules, or whatever it is. Um, but I think the best and the brightest of cinematographers are great artists and great craftsmen at the same time. Um, it's hard to completely distinguish, separate that. Possibly there are some who are great artists who let other people do all the physical work for them because they're not capable of it, but I find that hard to believe that much of that would actually come through or be able to survive in, in the business side of it and the way the world actually works. So in, in my estimation, we're both great craftsmen and great artists. Everybody here on this panel, I think, is both. Um, I think first you have to learn the craft and then you take that to another level. And I think that if there was a scene and the four of us were shown that scene and they said, how would you like to shoot it? We would come up with four very distinct ways of lighting it and shooting it. And um, that is going back to what Ed was saying about putting our own personality into the image. And so much of what we do is we get ideas from a director, we watch actors, we react to uh, environments, and then we take that and we put our own personal stamp on it. And I think that is one of the things that is what I consider the art of cinematography. So I think we are both craftsmen and artists at the same time. Thank you. <clears throat> I really don't understand the questions. <laughs> We all, we all are artists. Let's go from the beginning. What art means? In Latin language means ability. So it's dependent on the personal ability to perform in a different area. 
You can be an ability in cooking, in writing, in lighting, in directing, in performing, or whatever. We are anyhow an artist because we perform with our own mind, our own creativity. Usually, yes, we start to probably in school, or we start to learn the um, professional uh, on set, uh, whatever you learn uh, the element uh, how to perform. But that's the, of course, uh, you have to find the balance between your inner feeling, your inner creativity, and how you can transfer your idea in something. If you are able to have the feeling of music, uh, you, become, you can become Mozart or any other musician, doesn't matter what. But you know how to put notes together. If you uh, are able to transform your thought in language, you become a writer. If you learn how the art, the art and craft of cinematography, you become a cinematographer. But you always are an artist. Oh, we all are. The problem if you are conscious or not to be. The problem if you understand the chance that we have to have the great idea in our mind. And of course, if you don't know how to transfer that idea in any new element, you can be able to write the note, the, or you can write the music, or, or write in words, or writing with the camera, or writing with the light. What photography means? In Greek language, photo is light. Graphy means writing. So that's what we are doing when we do photography. But if you put in together more than one different art, let's say image, let's say music, let's say literature, this means that uh, the photography is in movement. Need the word kino, motion. It becomes cinematography. That's the major difference between photography and cinematography. One is a single art. So practically you transfer your feeling in one single image. It needs a very specific uh, <clears throat> way to do that. The other one, not necessarily every single shot, every single frame is a good, beautiful images. What is, what is count, uh, the fact that you are saying something that according to the story, having a beginning, having an evolution, having the end, at that moment it becomes a good cinematography. Doesn't matter which kind of craft you're using. People, uh, uh, human beings always use it the, to express themselves through images, from the graffiti into the cave, to the mosaic in Byzantine time, to the painting on wood, on, on canvas, on emulsion, in black and white, in color, whatever. In analog or in digital. Doesn't mean anything. The most thing is the idea. And the idea is personal. If we are aware of our own idea, we should not need just to know how to transfer that idea in something specific. In our case, it's cinematography, period. A couple of you mentioned working with directors and the collaborations that you have. And I'm, I'm wondering what kind of influence does that have on your creative process? I know because, like, Ed, you work with Todd Salons and Todd Haynes. Roberto, you work with uh, Mark Forster and Christopher Guest. Bob, you work with uh, Wes Anderson and Paul Feig, and Vittorio, you've worked with so many people, but I think of Bertolucci and Coppola, and now you're working with William. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> but the work is always still, I think, essentially yours in a way. 
they say it's a marriage, but I say it's more like a dance partner. So you're listening to the same music, but are you in the same step? And uh, not all directors are visual. So probably all of our best work is with the directors that have an input visually. Because I've worked on films I know that I didn't have a very strong visual director, and then the images aren't realized through the editing. And I can't you know, say enough that our images are completed in the editing room, how the story is told, how the images are told. So if you don't have the vision of the director who understands the language that they're working with with you, uh, then doesn't transform that through the editing, it's, it's, something is lost about what we do. So we're, we are creators with the director to create those images. And either we can try to work around the director or with the director, but hopefully you're working with directors that, and generally what I think, you know, because we're all here, most of you are cinematographers, is it's very important in the beginning. I, I usually go with visual references in meetings when I'm meeting a director. And I think from that first meeting you find out, even if the, there aren't their idea, they can figure out do they want to work with you or do you want to work with them. I mean, it's an interview that goes both ways, if you can allow yourself to do that. I mean, we do certain work for you know, a job, but then the ones that really count, it's very important in that first interview to see if you have common ground and I like to work a lot of times with first-time directors or very experienced directors, because I find first-time directors are more open to ideas to break you know, the norm to try things. And very experienced directors that have a visual language you can plug into. I agree with uh, a lot of what Ed is saying, and, and one thing I probably would have forgotten to mention is that note about the editors, because it's true that you can do everything that you plan to do and hope to do to bring across a story, to tell the story visually, um, <clears throat> whether the director was you know, understanding it at the beginning or just letting you do it and allowing you to do that creation. But if the, if the director who then leaves you and goes into a room for six weeks or six months with an editor and they don't have the understanding of that visual language that you were talking about, it can be totally dismembered and uh, disfigured in the editing room and become nothing how you had visualized the story. And now with the newer technologies, as we all know, um, especially if you're pushed to shoot 4K or 6K or 8K or 16K or next month 64K, whatever it becomes, um, I've sat with, with I've sat in rooms and heard directors say, "Oh, we'll just shoot this whole thing 8K, and then I'll find the close-ups and the, the, you know, the two shots from that frame," with a total dis misunderstanding or non-comprehension of what lens choice and angle choice means and how to put something together to tell a story in a proper visual way. Why you use a 25 millimeter lens in a close-up versus a 135 farther away? All the different reasons. Um, and now it's just so much easier for them to take it apart and reconstruct and destroy basically the visual that you've created. So hopefully you work with the director who is on the same page with you and is understanding and your collaborator 
um, whether they're strong visually or less strong visually, but allowing you to, to do the, the, the visual storytelling and be your partner and continue with it and allow it to, to go all the way through to the end because it's, a, it's becoming more and more of a, a, a challenge, I should say. But uh, yeah, I mean, a director who understands and you're working with uh, is definitely a great help. And my, my run with Mark Forster um, was nine films in 10 years, and we really had a, a secondhand communication and really, we really understood each other and, and uh, had a great respect for what we were doing on set, which carried on through to the final cut. Um, well, he mentioned I worked with uh, two directors quite a bit, Wes and uh, Paul, and they couldn't be more opposite, really, in their approach to filmmaking. Uh, Wes is very, very, uh, has a very strong vision in all aspects of what his film should be, and we typically spend a great deal of time together uh, beforehand in prep, just uh, going to the locations, and the two of us will spend time there. and talk about what interests us and what, how we want to shoot it. And, and uh, it's a very elaborate process. And we watch a lot of films. We look at a lot of uh, books with photos. Uh, we read books and listen to music. And it's a very involved process. We, before we did Grand Budapest, we went to Prague and just hung out there for uh, quite a long time. And, uh, before I did Darjeeling, we were, went to India and just traveled around India. And I think it's just to get in the spirit of what the film is to be. And so when we come to shoot the film, we are so much, uh, have figured the whole thing out so that it's just a matter of we, we uh, go in and, and do it where there's not a lot of discussion. And, and uh, it's, you know, uh, for me, it's a real pleasure to work with someone who has such a strong vision. And uh, I think, as Ed was saying, you know, you do your best work in that type of situation. With Paul, it's a whole different uh, experience. We look at the locations, but he likes to have a lot of uh, spontaneity on the set. We run two cameras on everything. With Wes, it's always one camera. Uh, and uh, it's more about covering the actors, allowing them to be spontaneous and move around, and they do a lot of improv. So uh, the lighting isn't quite as precise, the camera moves aren't quite, nothing is quite as precise as it would be on a West film. And so, you know, I give up a little bit of my control on the set just in order to allow the actors to have that spontaneity. But that said, I enjoy working with Paul. I enjoy being in that situation. There's a lot of excitement there doing it that way as well. So it, I think every director is different. And uh, you just have to kind of get in there and feel like, what, what is this person going for? And take that and, and enhance that as best you can. Well, once again, we have to go <clears throat> at the beginning, at the meaning or the two different uh, uh, expression, photography and cinematography. Photography is a single art. You can do by yourself. Uh, you can do anything you think is appropriate for your mind, for your creativity, for your experience, and so on. Cinematography belongs to a common art. Needs several co-author, needs several minds, several different creativity to organize the feeling of the film. Because uh, why cinema is being called the Ten Moses? Because it nourishes itself from the other nine. 
enriches itself from literature, from painting, from, from music, from architecture, sculpture, and so on, and so on, and so on. Exactly the, the structure of the film crew is exactly the one of, the, of an orchestra. There is somebody who plays the piano, or play the violin, or sing, or, or, or whatever, and there is one single conductor. There is no way that we can have uh, in the same structure two different conductors. No way. That's why I don't like to be called a director of photography. It's a major mistake that has been done a long time ago, and we're still following this kind of mistake. Because uh, at the end, uh, any one of us, uh, if we do in cinematography, writing, costume, editing, whatever, need to present our vision in the way we can perform to a final decision. And the final creative decision is the director. And I don't like to be called director of photography because I think it's a, you put in competition yourself with the director into the same film. And it's a major mistake. A photography, as I said before, is not my personal uh, creative expression. I express myself in cinematography, not in photography. When recently last year, uh, the agency ICM called me to propose me a movie to do with Woody Allen, I asked, oh, I'm, I'm very glad on this call, blah, blah, but uh, can I read the script or at least the synopsis? And then she told me, Vittorio, you don't have to read the script to Woody Allen. Yes. If I don't read the script, I don't know what I'm going to do. Second, I don't know if that story belongs to my own path. Why? I think in every professional, that we express in ourselves, what we really do. We are trying to understand who we are. We are trying to understand the answer to our own questions. We are trying to understand the meaning of our own life. That's what we try to do, if we are aware or not. But that's exactly what, so I need to know if the story uh, is something that is appropriate for myself. I don't think that every cinematographer, I'm talking about myself, of course, can do every movie, can work with every director. There is, as Eddie mentioned before, a kind of magnetism between the, uh, those two creative people. And you have to know that at the end, you are in his end to take the final decision. Once I understood that the story is appropriate and I can have something to tell, to add, to the written words. So that's, I think that I, I, I can do something that is become, I become alive because I created some kind of vision that is different. Doesn't matter if it's better or worse from any other, other director, uh, any cinematographer, but it's appropriate for myself. And I present this vision to the director only when he says from the beginning, that that is okay, that that is appropriate, that can have some value, and I can continue the journey with him. Otherwise, if he presents to me different idea, and he convinces me, maybe I found new idea that I never thought before, and that would be wonderful. But if he's not agree, it doesn't give me any other element to understand the project, I don't do the movie, because I have no reason to do the movie. Practically, our work, 
without, even if it's very personal, I just said, because it's something that belongs to our own life. Without a story, without the director, we do not exist. Going back to influences, we talked a little bit about music and for Carol, I know that Ed photography was a, was a big influence on the work that you, you did in that film, particularly mid 20th century street photography. And so those are the kinds of influences I feel like are voluntary, the kinds of influences that we choose as filmmakers. Moving into the technological aspects, the practical aspects of the conversation, I'm wondering what kinds of influences that are involuntary that exert themselves from the outside onto your creativity. Roberto, you mentioned resolution factors and how filmmakers can abuse those or take advantage of them. Um, some of the influences are the really negative ones that I find. I, I hate to, I always harp on this, but it's just, it's the life we're living right now. It depends on what level you're at, I guess, and where you're standing, but things like Netflix demanding that you shoot 4K. To me, it's absurd. It means you can't use the Alexa if you like the Alexa. Producers telling you, you they wanted you to shoot with a red dragon because they maybe they own them. Um, this kind of thing happens all the time now, telling you what lab you have to go to, what process you have to use. Um, it's changed. I mean, things have changed, and I, I don't see it moving for the better. I just see it moving for the worse, and I know a lot of it is, is um, driven by capitalist needs to continually sell new products. Um, it's, it's just, it's an unfortunate thing that we have to deal with. Um, the other side of it is, you know, I don't, people say, what camera do you use? And I said, well, it depends on what project it is. What lenses do you use? It depends on the project. It depends on the image that I'm trying to show. Um, so it's influences of being told from the outside and usually by producers what gear you have to use and what process you have to use and such. And I just find it extremely, um, debilitating and, and makes being in the profession very frustrating for the future. My negative aspect. One thing I, I influence that's happened in my lifetime is, is uh, the changes that have happened in post-production. Uh, when I started shooting years ago, we obviously shot film all the time and we shot everything pretty much in camera and there was very little visual effects, maybe one or two visual effects in a movie and now there's numerous, and I've done movies with hundreds of visual effects, so, so much is being controlled in the post-production aspect of it, and, and I think cinematographers uh, have to really be involved in that process as much as possible, and, and oftentimes we're in other movies or we're you know, in other countries, and, and it's difficult, but uh, so much can be influenced and, and manipulated in post-production that I, I think our job continues not only while we're shooting the film, but in the post-production as well, because otherwise, as we all know, there's so much control that can be done, and, and they can destroy your work very easily. So um, it's something that we all are very aware of. It's very difficult for me to answer now, because uh, in a few hours, I will have this seminar about the digital cinematography, and so I, maybe I can amplify the answer later on. I only can say that which is what uh, we mentioned just before. Any kind of technology are quite important, of course, but it's not essential. The main essential thing is the idea. 
is to have a specific concept that you can perform with any kind of technology, with any kind of laboratory, with any kind of films, with every kind of sensor, with any kind of light, so on and so on. Of course, while you grow up, while you have your own experience, you select what you feel appropriate with, because we make it more simple and more easy. But apart from those kind of little words, the most important thing is your own concept, your own idea, your own uh, cinematography ideation. If you don't have that concept, you can use the best of the, of the, of the technology and, and the technical uh, aspect you can have today, the kind of cinematography will become like kind of cold, doesn't have your personal input, which is the main thing in my opinion. But I will develop this subject later on. Thank you. Well, all right. My biggest frustration, either film or digital, is in the color correction, in the timing. Because before, when we shot with film, or I still shoot with film, um, there was always a delay. You would work with a colorist. Some are here today I work with. And, uh, there would, and the director would have his input, but generally you would work longer with the project before the director comes in the room to have the color correction, he would give his notes. Well, it was always a night oh, developing and then they look at it the next day. So there was always that time element that I could make changes with the director without the director to show them what the look was. Now I have the problem, and this is a real problem, that some directors want to sit in the room with me from the inception. And they don't understand the parameters because they think you can do everything in the color correction. They don't understand the parameters that if you like perceive how you wanted the film to look, and I play a lot with gels and color temperature, I want to like keep that look or you know, play with that look that I've put into the negative, that then they're in the room trying to change it for some other idea they have, that's a total frustration for me and really difficult. And I'm always trying to work around the director to get what I think the film should look like. So that to me is, is a real difference in technology that's maybe made it more difficult for cinematographers to control the image, that they can be in the room and think they can just, they can turn a knob and try to change what you've done, or what they even thought they wanted in the beginning, that then now they have a different idea. So that, that's, a, that's something we all have to deal with. Can I answer to Eddie? Yeah. <clears throat> Eddie, I'm sorry, but... Uh, I want to confirm what I was saying before. I did 61 films. No one of those films I have the director come into the technical or either um, <clears throat> digital intermediate or before that any transfer on any color correction. No in Rome, none in London, none in New York, none in Los Angeles. Why? Because I was very clear from the beginning with the director. I explained it to him from the beginning what I have in mind. After he has 
if he's agree, believe me, sometimes I refuse the movie because we were not in agreement. Something happened very recently, last year. The director has a different view, and we said we respect each other, and we will maybe uh, have other opportunity in the future, whatever. And I don't do the movie. But when we agree from the beginning, they know every day, more or less, where we is our path, where we're going. And uh, only when I finish timing the answer print or do the digital intermediate, the director's coming, I show my work, and we can have uh, our chat, if he's agreed completely or if he has some uh, consideration. And that's it. 61 film. Well, what I would respond to that is, one in Europe, and I know you work Europe and America, and when I work in Europe, there's more respect for a cinematographer what they do. But also, you're Victorio Storaro. <laughs> <laughs> and not, no. No, 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 no. My name was Vittorio Storaro on my first film. And the first day, the director, Franco Rossi, while we were doing the test, told me in the way that I was supposed to lead one, one actor, at the end of the day, I say a lot to him, and I walk out. <laughs> he followed me back. I don't have any money at home. My wife was waiting for the second son, but I said, that, do you need an electrician? You don't need me. The name is Franco Rossi, great director. Great. He told me, sorry, Vittorio, I was very nervous with Nato, blah, blah, don't worry. And we did the best film ever. When Bertolucci called me for The Conformist, right. he asked me to have another camera operator and not Enrico Metelli. And I gave it back to him, the, the script they just gave me, and to say, no, Bernardo, you're wrong, because I think that Enrico is the best operator I ever met, and I think we should do the movie with him. And I walk out. When Francis Coppola, when Francis Coppola called me to do the Apocalypse Now, and I present my idea, he was agreeing, and we went to the, in the Philippines, and I asked it to develop in Rome, because I was not happy about the new film of Kodak, if you remember, in 1975, because they changed all the developing, and so I need to flash the negative. And I said to Francis Coppola only, not one producer today will allow to, move, to do that. And I need to develop the film in Technicolor Rome, because Technicolor Rome was the great colorist, Ernesto Novelli. They did all my movie till then. And I say, Francis, I feel I'm so away from the laboratory. I need to feel comfortable. He sent me telegram. We couldn't even speak on the telephone in Novelli. But he knew exactly what I was doing. A week later, Gray Frederickson, the co-producer, came to me and said, Vittorio, Francis is very nervous. We're looking at dailies after two weeks. And we are blowing up everything. So Francis, from tomorrow, from Monday, we're going to Technical Los Angeles because there is a fly every day. In Rome, there is one a week. And I say, okay, tell me who is your cinematographer for Apocalypse Now. Yeah, very good. A Francis said, <laughs> a Francis said, Vittorio knows what, I trust Vittorio, let Vittorio uh, do whatever he feels because I think I like what he's doing, period. Right. But I, in the first film, I was called Vittorio Storaro, not now. But that was black and white. 
Yes, great, great experience, great experience, great no, experience. No, 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 I'm not arguing. I did, with I did them. two movies. All right. I did two movies together. Right. The first and the last right. in black and white. <laughs> All right. Because later, I study what color meant. Right. And I will miss in color in black and white. So that's why I need to have the relationship with the emotion, with the sentiment. You shouldn't be afraid of red, the green, and blue if you know it. My only response is I've been fired on three films. Okay. <laughs> I've been fired too. Don't worry. <laughs> do, do you feel that cinematographers uh, are at risk of losing control? Of, over over the image, over the final product? Uh, I, I came into digital kicking and screaming, quite honestly. I, I was a film person, and I fought for film, uh, you know, bitterly. And uh, gradually, I've been won over to the digital world, and um, I now see that we can maintain that control in some ways even better digitally. Because uh, when, when I work on a film digitally, I sit with the DIT in the morning, we come up with a look, and hopefully that gets translated all the way through post-production. And when we go in to do our final DI, we start with that look that we started on set. And, and after the film has been edited, sometimes we will refine it a little bit. But I, I think that if you can get a good look set on the set uh, with the DIT, that will be uh, uh, carried through the whole post-production process. So I, I find that in some ways, uh, as long as you're there to supervise it and keep on it, uh, you have you can maintain that control. Uh, the DIT, I mean, has to be your friend, has to be your collaborator. They're working for you. I've never met, well, I have, but I didn't, they didn't last very long. Uh, work with a DIT who wanted to do their own thing. The DIT is there to support you and your vision and the way you want it to, to look as is the colorist. The colorist is also an artist, and I mean, I've worked with some amazing colorists, Mike Sawa, uh, Stefan Nakamura, um, Steve Scott, who bring something to it, and sometimes they see something that you hadn't seen and offer things, but they're there to work with you and to bring up your vision. Um, so I think that side of it is, is great, um, and it, it gives you, you know, opportunities. And using the ACES workflow, can help so much in that what you set, your look on the set should be respected, can be respected all the way through the editorial and through post. The problem happens when the people downstream can be editors, can be producers, can be the VFX people, decide that they want to change it and they don't care what the metadata says, they're going to do something different with it and it comes out looking different. And oftentimes, as you know, I think we've all experienced, we can't always be available for the DI um, and most of us, except for maybe a couple people here, don't get paid to do the DI. So it's, a, it's not easy to always be involved at that point. The studios know that you care enough about it that you're going to go whether you get paid or not if you're available. So they take advantage of that. But things can happen in the DI if you're not there, even if you are there, that there's no control over. And I think that's, for me, that's the bad side of the digital world because I think when we were doing... Um, Film printing, Hazeltine, RGB, you've got your you know, three lights, you work with that, you know what you're gonna get, you know what you're working for. 
there's not that much that can be bastardized from, from your original exposures and vision and knowing how the stock works and everything and how the print stock works. Um, so I think keeping control over the image is a challenge these days, especially with so many films involving so much visual effects. Where And I've been told on one film, the visual effects supervisor came in and said, okay, you're done with your work now. I'm taking over and piss off. I'm going to finish it. And it's like, at that point, it was too late to quit because I'd already finished shooting. But um, it's, you know, there's just got to be a, there's got to be a relationship that works together, but it's, it's, it can be very volatile. Uh, you should be very patient with me because uh, I need three hours to answer to this question. In a sense, uh, that the, uh, this is one of the steps that I really touch very specific in my seminar afterwards. The DIT that work uh, usually with me is right here, Simone D'Arcangelo, also uh, Anthony Raffaele, that they follow me at the Digital Intermediate. I don't know if Will Arnold is here, the camera operator. So we have several collaborators that will talk specifically every single argument about technology and the relationship with creativity. But I can say something right now. This is something that in the last uh, uh, meeting that was done between uh, several cinematographers all around the world that was done uh, at the American Society of Cinematography a few months ago. Uh, there is one main aspect that we, in, particularly in Europe, we are following. And I, I, I started personally myself in 90, since 1980 to have the chance to have a recognition for the author's right for cinematography. You know, the, the film law all around the world recognize the writing, so, uh, subject and script, and recognize the music and the director. But cinema is an expression of images. And our main point is the fact that we, who is in charge for the result, the visualization of the images, which are many, many, many people, not only us, but without light, you don't see any images. So we are the most prominent person to be responsible for the images. We need to have a recognition. And we are changing the title, the name of the different association. Today we are association of author of the film photography. The law in Italy, the, the film law, cinema law, recognize us in order to have a nas the Italian nationality of a film, you should have the author of the writing, the author of the music, the director Italia, and the author of the Fotografia Cinematografica, practically the cinematography. We extend those kind of recognition in different associations in Europe. With IMAGO, particularly, there is the Federation of all the uh, European uh, Association of Cinematography. We are fighting, particularly in Europe, to have the major recognition being by the law, the international law. There is different steps being done. It's, the, it's a very long the, the process because uh, the generation before us, before myself practically, never done anything about it. But once we can achieve, I know that in America is much more difficult for the recognition of the author. In Europe it's much more possible. But when we probably we achieve in Europe, it can be much more easy also to achieve in the United States. Once you have the recognition, 
as a, you are the author of the cinematography, you need only one thing, very specific, in order not to have any conflict by law or in the set. The agreement with the director. Because the director is like the director of the orchestra. I can play the violin on my way, but you have to give me the final uh, agreement, the final cut, practically. So once you present to the director your idea, and he accepted, nobody can touch the image any longer. No one editor, no one producer, no another distributor, whatever. You can put them in the court of law. That's the most important thing that we are doing in Europe. Any other things, we have to fight. We have to fight if you are called on one name after some experience that you can put in your contract, but mainly nothing you can do if the director is not agree with you. That's what you have to remember. Once I remember that I went to Bruxelles to discuss this specific element, they told me we have a major problem. If that you are not agree with what the director does, practically the thing should be stopped. They say no. But they, in their mind, they said that we have a conflict of authorship. They say no, because the director always should have the final decision. We are the order just of the uh, visualization of the images. Because inside the image, we are not the order of the images. Because there is the writer, there is the production designer, the costume designer, even the actor is part of the images. The director, of course. But without our light, that was the most important thing. Cinematography. Writing with lighting movement. That belongs to us. The only us are the responsible. Bernardo Bertolucci is one of the greatest writers with the camera. The best director I ever met about that. He is writing with the camera. My writing with the light. And we are never in conflict. I can have different uh, relationship with different directors. So I can participate to suggest or to tell or to present new proposal to the director about the camera movement or rhythm. But the final decision is always about the director. Once we have clearly in mind this kind of thing, we don't have any problem. Well, I'm in total agreement with you, Victoria, but I... <laughs> But we might have a problem with Trump with that. That's your director now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Granted. Um, I'm probably the contrarian here because I still feel that I can control the chemical process, the photographic negative, better than I can control the digital negative. And the reason is, is the digital medium receives uh, light and color differently. The different color space, there's a different, it, to me it's because it's pixel fixated on one plane, where film there's three layers. They're microscopic, but they give depth to the image. And I think that's what makes our imagery more and more difficult when we shoot digitally to control the image. We think we can do everything in post with it or even in the shooting of it,
But to me, that when I look at images digitally, there's a certain compression to that image. They can tell me it's 15 stops, latitude, whatever. And maybe it's because my eye is trained through photochemical look to a negative. But they're just a different medium. And I, the way I look at it is not every film should be photographed in the same, you know, one film should feel abstract expressionist or in, in, uh, pointillism or impressionism. And then there's photorealism. And to me, the, cap, the temp, uh, digital process always seems like I'm looking at a photorealistic painting. And that, that's always my contention about the digital medium, that I can't manipulate it the way I can manipulate the chemical medium. But maybe you can, Victoria. As I mentioned to you, I will answer to you personally in three hours' time. <laughs> I, I wanted to just comment on, on what Vittorio said, and yes, you are Vittorio Storaro, and yes, you do have more power than the rest of us do in the final thing. It's just a reality. But in the United States, where I do most of my work, the director doesn't always have that final decision. He's not the one. It's the producer. And I've been on many shows, and one I finished a couple of years ago that is still in post, where the director was dismissed, the producer took over, they hired a new producer, they've got a new director and coming in shooting new things, and they're putting it together without the original director writer. He was the guy who, it was his project. Um, these things happen and it just makes the control over what we intended to show, to do, much more difficult. And I agree with Ed that if you shoot film, I think you're in a much better space to get the final product that you want. And yes, they can still do visual effects with film and all of that and they can, they can destroy things when they get into the DI because nothing very rarely is finished photochemically in the end, except for maybe Christopher Nolan, uh, his work. Uh, it goes into a DI and then you're in the digital world again. But I think it's just, it's, um, it's, a, it's a spider web out there full of you know, pitfalls and it's a, it's a more difficult world than it used to be for us to, to finalize the image. Oh yeah, there's one other aspect to respond to a question, maybe it was earlier was, how do we judge photography? You know, does it come out of the camera or out of a computer? And that brings up the question, how do we uh, evaluate what cinematography is? Uh, I, that would be interesting, uh, Victoria, if you could respond to that. Like, there are many films that are so manipulated <laughs> through a computer that make it look like it's naturalistic how do we judge images that way? Because at some point, they're, they, they're taken away from us. One other thing to consider also in this whole discussion that goes into what Ed was just talking about and what I was mentioning is the display that you're looking at things on because everything is so different now. It's not, you don't go to a movie theater, and yes, movie theaters had different projectors and people would turn the bulbs down to save on electricity and whatever, but Nowadays, everybody looks on different platforms, and people are watching movies on their cell phones, and you're watching on a 60-inch plasma screen or a 42-inch LED screen that's been tweaked to look like you should be watching live sports on it, or you go to a movie theater that has a Barco projector or a Christie, and they're calibrated differently, and so you do something in a perfect world in your suite, in the DI suite, looking on that perfect calibrated monitor, 
and then it gets out into the public and everything can look like 360 degrees different. So I guess we have no choice at that point. I mean, it's out of our control, but it's also a frustrating element because I've seen pictures that I've shot and that other people have shot in various venues that don't look anything like they're supposed to look like. Hasn't that always been the case, though? Like the illusion of control over the image? Because even in the photochemical world, you know, even going back to the early Technicolor days, prints didn't last forever. Three-strip prints weren't always perfectly registered, you know, so you, know, you could be seeing the red shoes on opening day and it still wouldn't look as good as the 4K restoration. There's always been some of that, and I've had that with, with a couple of films I did where the prints came out of the lab and one run was a little bit too green. You know, it, that, but the variations now are so multiplied. They always promised us that the digital media would give us that consistency, which it doesn't. Through projectors, through, you know, how it's transferred. Does anyone here have any opinion on the concept of standardization of the digital format? I mean, photochemical film evolved over decades, you know, getting faster and, and the grain structure changes. But for the most part, it still acts like film. Uh, whereas there's a new camera practically every year now. So I'm, I'm wondering, like, is there an ideal situation where some kind of standard could be set in place, preferably with the involvement of the cinematographer, to stabilize this situation? On one hand, I would, I would want to say yes, but no, it, because they're all different tools. You know, you, you, if you have 12 different cameras out there, and I would actually say a new camera's out about every six weeks, or at least a firmware upgrade that changes the the look of the camera. I mean, I think as long as you have the choice to choose, the choice to choose, that's, as long as you have the choice to pick the, the tool that you want to use for your particular project, you might want to choose the, the Sony F55, or you might want to use a Red Dragon, or you might want to use, um, uh, I don't know, a, a, an Alexa, or you might want to use a Blackmagic Pocket Cinema camera, if it's the right tool for the project. So standardization, no, in in creation, standardization in display and projection, yes. So when you shoot something that it gets shown all around the world with the same level of intent. That I would agree on. And how that's ever going to happen, I don't know. Because everybody wants to improve and make their new product and sell something new. Is there anything right now in terms of like the contemporary technologies, whether it's the camera or in post or in, in lighting, that lends a new dimension to your work? No. <laughs> There's some great new actors out there. <laughs> I've started using LED lights. <laughs> and uh, there's a lot of advantages to them. And uh, I've never, you know, used them before until recently. Uh, so that's, that's something that excites me. As I said earlier, I'm a film person. But certainly when I, sh I shoot with the Alexa and... Uh, I'm amazed sometimes how I can go into situations and use very little light using those cameras, and um, I'm excited by that as well. But yeah, I, if I could shoot 16 millimeter the rest of my life, I'd probably be very happy. Do you guys ever think about what's coming down the pike? Try to look ahead a little bit, in, in just in terms of the craft, the aesthetic of cinema, like where you'd like to see it go, and if, if you have uh, the ability to push things in a specific direction? What excites you about the future of cinema? Great stories, great stories to tell. Um, the opportunity to 
to try new things and, and just expand different worlds of visual imagery um, and have great collaborators. I mean, for me, it's, it's a continuation of what the best of what we had so far. I'm, I'm open to new things and trying new things and seeing new things, but there's nothing that I say, well, I have to do you know, a high frame rate or I have to do 3D because they haven't really off, I haven't seen that much that excites me there, but it's more about just finding great stories to continue telling. Yeah, it's, it's, it's about the storytelling, about telling human stories and not video games or amusement rides. But I mean, there's an aspect of that for entertainment, but I, I'm just not interested in that. So, I mean, I just saw a film when I was late here, uh, shot in uh, with a Aboriginal tribe in uh, an island off of Australia. It was quite beautiful. I think we're going to open it up to the audience now uh, and get some questions in. We've got some time for that. So, um, if anyone has any questions that they would like to ask of our, um, I'm curious to hear everybody's thoughts on uh, the compression in time. Uh, from prep to post in terms of what you guys used to be used to and how much time you could commit to a film and how fast things move now and what challenges, positive or negative, you guys have with making movies today and how fast things go. I, I think that depends on the movie. Uh, if I'm doing a smaller independent film, obviously we, have, we shoot them in 30, 35 days. And when you go to do the DI, you might have a couple of days or a day or whatever. If you're doing a large studio film, you know, I'm, I'm on it for five, six months uh, with a very long prep period. And uh, I know the DI on Ghostbusters was, you know, a month or two because they were waiting for all the effects to come in. So it varies on the project. So a uh, smaller film, obviously, you get way less time and, and there is a compression of time. But on the larger films, I find... It's w way more than we really need in a lot of ways. I just had a question for Ed. I, I was wondering if you could comment or share with us briefly your collaboration with the director and choosing those tools for the film, Carol. Well, I, like I was saying before, that uh, I, I see your directors, your dance partner, and that you have to find the same music to be in step with each other. And the, with Todd, per se, like you bring up, we don't always agree. Many times we don't agree. But a lot of times what happens is the idea becomes something else. In other words, the struggle towards that thing becomes better than what both of us thought because we both were... He came from it from one part. You know, a lot of times directors come to an image from, it has to be from an idea, but an idea that isn't necessarily how we would explore it through an image. And uh, for me, so much about images are the time element. In other words, that you're responding to what's in front of you. And so you can go in with preconceived ideas but it's the moment that you're capturing those ideas that are the most important to me. So I feel all films are really somehow a document, that no take is ever the same, the light is never exactly the same, and so you have to be responsive to those moments with a director. And so it's, it's really important to me that I work with directors 
that are open to that process? I can answer this question. Uh, particularly with some director, like for example, Bernardo Petrucci, even Woody Allen has the same kind of feeling. Usually when we go on location, they are not telling you what they are planning. You just see uh, the place and um, basically Bernardo is thinking uh, everywhere, all the time, anyhow, whatever is, uh, but they don't really, pushing you in a specific area that should be considered for that specific sequence. If I try to understand a little more or knowing him, with my experience with him, I can imagine they can be in one specific direction, they can be one in particular way after so many years of collaboration, or capture your sensitivity like uh, I, I'll do with Woody Allen, I, I imagine something. And uh, so when I go back on the same location with the technical collaborator, Gaffer, Gay Grip, whatever, and I mention my imagination and, and my feeling is this is going to be done in this way. And um, probably because I see in that way and because I feel comfortable in that way because I feel that I know how to do in that way. It basically, 90% of the time, I'm in the right direction. And I prepare everything in that direction. And I prepare everything that's been done in the way that I feel that works. But suddenly, one morning, Bernardo arrived, they say, Vittorio, you know, I, I don't feel that maybe this is correct. It's better this. And I feel completely lost because I prepare myself with my knowledge, with my feeling, with my taste in that direction. The moment that they put me, without any will to do that, of course, in, the, in an area that I don't like to go and I don't feel to go, sometime and most of the time that I force it to go in that area, I discovered something that I never knew before. I never crossed my mind that idea. Because my education, my, my feeling, my test, my, my experience, uh, give me the f good feeling for me to create in the kind of atmosphere in one specific way, which I know pretty well. I never knew the other way. But now I have to solve the problem. And in that moment, the effort that you do in trying to understand the different way to do it, completely opposite of what you feel, is unbelievable that suddenly an idea is coming and you open like a new door and you discover a new way to do it that you will never knew before. And you will never discover if you are not pushed in that kind of corner. And usually that's just the best moment that I discover new idea that I add on my previous experience. So once again, for whatever we prepare ourselves, for how much we they do research, do study, I put everything in in the script, location, photograph, painting, copy, whatever. There are specific moments that you have to be ready to completely face something completely different. 
What is leading you? The main concept that you have in your mind. The main concept to writing, we like that story, doesn't have a, a one single way to be achieved. But you go for the way that you know already. The way that you feel is more appropriate, that is more easy, that is more simple, that is more faster, that is more with the element, technical element that you have in front of you. But suddenly you discover something else. And that's fantastic. Um, I come from a background of uh, VFX work and a lot of uh, digital intermediate before I started shooting anything. And I'm still shooting uh, short films, music videos, stuff like that. And it uh, always feels that there's like um, a battle between film and digital and people saying that they don't want to move to digital for all obvious reasons. And um, like for, I can speak for myself coming from a generation that has never had the opportunity to shoot on film that um, we have faster cameras and you were talking about, uh, Robert, you were talking about using LED lights. So we have faster cameras and we can use LED lights. And for an example, I can shoot a night uh, scene in the desert using no lights um, at daytime using knowledge that I have from VFX or using some of my colleagues that can help me and to create um, an image that will serve the story very well with a very small budget. Obviously these things don't uh, you know, uh, refer to big studio films and stuff like that, but my personal feeling is that um, all this movement, as much as it makes maybe your job uh, hard, it makes the independent filmmaking uh, grow. And uh, for young people who start, it gives them very strong tools to progress. And I was wondering what your opinion is on that. Oh, boy. Um, I think that you're right that uh, when, when I started, you know, we shot film, and I was just, as I got out of school, you know, you had to rent a camera, you had to buy film, you had to pay for processing. It was a very expensive thing for someone who didn't have any money. So it really uh, uh, hurt, hampered people from making films. Today, it's a lot easier. My daughter uh, just graduated from high school. She shot a film on her iPhone. And you know, you can, and with the editing software they have now and things, people can make films much, much less expensively. Um, that said, I did a movie uh, about two or three years ago and of course, I was under uh, tremendous pressure to shoot it digitally from the producers. And I shot most of it in 16 millimeter, and I fought, and I got the director on my side. So I think, uh, as we've been saying all along, it's, it's what's the best tool to, for your, what's the best way to tell your story? And in this case, it was uh, about Brian Wilson of the Beach Boys. It was in the 60s, and I felt that the digital representation wouldn't really work and and uh, I convinced the director to use 16 millimeter and, and he came on board and it was easy after that. So um, on the one hand this new technology has made it easier for young people to make films but don't you know give up on using film. I know a lot of film students in the United States and they, they're, they're all interested in shooting film and, and it's just another way. You looked at Carol that Headshot, you know, and, and uh, we're still shooting film, and I think for certain films, it's a, it's a more uh, appropriate way to go. So, uh, 
just don't forget about it, you know? I mean, it's, it's a beautiful medium, and uh, I guess that's it. Yeah, I, I don't want to be decisive about uh, the digital world. If it affords you to make your film, that's, that's great. So the thing about higher ASA and that we can shoot everywhere with no lights, you still have to control the negative. You know, just because you can shoot in low light at ASA 2000 or 5000 now, uh, what happens to your highlights? You know, when I, when I worked with Robbie Muller, what I learned from Robbie, you know, many years ago was he would always shoot, you know, there's that whole school of cinematographers that would shoot like wide open at 1-3 most of the time. You know, and in Europe, a lot of photographers did that, cinematographers, um, because, you know, they didn't have lighting packages the way we did. And... Um, but he would use ND gels on highlights or, or signs. So the, we, we, we still have to be able to control the negative to create an image. And so, again, everything shouldn't look the same just because we can shoot with available light unless you're going for that look, for you know, a realistic look. So we can still manipulate the image with higher ASAs We should. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that, again, like what, what Ed said, just because you can shoot in available light doesn't mean it's going to look good. Um, doesn't mean it's going to look right for what you're trying to tell. I think, again, like the, the thing about highlights, and the, it's as if, so, as with so many things in life, it's about balance. You have to balance the highlights and the lows and the interests, the, the, uh, the contrasts. And from shot to shot, it's not just that single shot, it's the whole scene. It's like we're saying when you do a, a, a sequence, if you have uh, one shot in the sequence that's really high key and then you come around and then it's like really low key and it throws you off and it, it takes the audience out of the story, it doesn't work. So you have to know how to balance whether you're shooting film or digital. I wanted to also reply to that to that question as, as, as someone who's kind of like in the same position that, that you are uh, in being an independent filmmaker and wanting to shoot film. I feel like in the past couple years, I've done a couple small projects on 16 mil and it's really just been a matter of, of, of making it happen in any way possible. If I had to buy short ends and get them snip tested, that's what I did. Uh, if I had to shoot with a two to one ratio, that's what I did. If I had to edit in camera, that's what I did. And um, that's what I did. And uh, I got to shoot on film, and it was awesome. So, um, and in film cameras, you can get on eBay now for like $200. You can get a, a Bolex or a K3. And so actually, I think now, shooting film for independent filmmakers, for people who are still in school or just out of school, is actually easier than it was 15 years ago. It's more accessible now. And companies like Kodak are actually have incentives for students to shoot film. So if you get out there and you do the research, and you really make it a priority, uh, it's possible like on, on, on a small scale or even, you know, if you want to do an independent feature, like the, the tools and the resources are out there. So um, I think that's about all the time we have for, for this panel. Uh, I want to thank Vittorio Storaro and Bob Yeoman and Roberto Schaefer and Edward Lachman for taking the time to be here today. And... Thank you to our audience for, for being here with us. Thank you.
This has been the American Cinematographer Podcast. Thanks for listening. You can find more podcasts, blogs, and exclusive ASC content by logging onto theasc.com. This podcast has been brought to you by the American Society of Cinematographers, a nonprofit organization dedicated to promoting the art and craft of cinematography.